Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Hello and welcome to the final Irish Time Second Captain's Football Podcast before the new Premier League season kicks off on Saturday. Owen here with an excited Murph. Hello there, Owen. And an equally excited Ken. Hi, Owen. How are you? These last couple of days are starting to drag a bit, I do feel. It's a lot like the end of a marathon when you've sealed yourself to run 26 miles. You're motoring okay for about 20 of them. Starting to crack by, say, mile 22. I don't need to tell you guys about running marathons. Oh, no, go on, keep going. By the time you get to mile 23 or 24... Sorry, just allow me to slip on my Homer Simpson jury duty glasses here. By the time you get to mile 23 or 24, you're just... You're you're screaming internally for the finish line. And that's when the point two of a mile enters your brain for the first time. And everyone knows it's 26.2 miles, right? Oh, yeah. But you just think of, you just think of that as 26. Why, why bother worrying about the point two? Round down to the nearest mile. <laughs> exactly. If it's 26.8, I'd say, oh, well, it's, that's 27. Yeah. That's going to be 27 miles. But that point two... It's suddenly, suddenly an extra 10%. To, oh, it seems like an insurmountable... Well, it's not an extra 10%. On top of what you've got to do. Like, the two miles you've got to do, then an extra point two of a mile. That's an extra 10% of two miles. No, you run 26 miles. 26.2. Yeah, but I thought you said you had two miles left. Now you're oh, my apologies. My, two. My, Sorry, my I, I checked out a couple yeah, of minutes yeah, ago, yeah. but whatever. You see where I'm going with this? <laughs> Those last, these next two days are the equivalent of the last 350 yards of the marathon. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah we're on that point two of a mile now. Can <laughs> um, Ernie's report on sport? Whew. Save me there, Simon. Thanks. Well, that's good. I mean, that that is good. That, and that is where we are. That's where we're at. Now, I don't mean to... I mean, to, if, if you're t- if, to take the marathon... Uh, uh, example further. Too, yeah. I mean, if if you're in those last 250 yards, you're probably being roared on by crowds of people who are uh, eager, anxious to see you to the finish line. Yeah. So that's how I would feel. I mean, I'm not feeling like, you know, I'm struggling now. It's like the, everything else has been a struggle. 
And now this is my... You've hit me with you a bugbear though, Mr. Glory there. I actually feel like those people... Too many people gather around the last 350 yards. You can't really pick out your friends and family. You're hearing a general din when really you need them maybe about a mile out. Can I, yeah. can I tell you so something? So if, if, if you ever come... Kenneth, oh, I think you both supported me at Marathons yes. in the past. So. Yeah, they're deathly dull. And if you're telling me now that you, you, you're not, it's not good enough for well, me I'm just to show up... Well, I'm half thinking of doing it this out year. Out of blind, know, bored duty. If it's not good enough for me to just show up... Then you know, you've got to go at a specific point to cheer me on. Yeah, forget that's what I was saying. Forget about it. 25.2 miles in. Um, Football again, Premier League. Yeah, we're we're about to to cross over the finish line, wrap ourselves in a space blanket, <laughs> and settle down to watch the Premier League kick off. Although at the moment, what's happening is, um, uh, I don't know, Owen. I mean, we we've been hearing a lot about the rise of mixed martial arts. We have, and uh, maybe, and we saw Neymar, for instance, was at the Conor McGregor fight. Saw Ronda Rousey was at a Flamengo game. Ronda Rousey hanging out with Jose Aldo mm-hmm. at Flamengo, um, and now it's uh, the the popularity of this uh, combat art form is bleeding into the the uh, well enlivening the desiccated carcass of what was once the global game um, uh, in the form of uh, some pretty angry uh, carry on. Some violent behaviour from the uh, top football flyweight. stars. <laughs> Prominent flyweight Lidl Messi. Prominent flyweight <laughs> Actually, this is his. This move would be illegal in the octagon. Uh, Dana White, the charismatic uh, and always truthful chairman of uh, or president of UFC, would no doubt point out that in fact Messi wouldn't get away with that in uh, in a sport which is uh, still probably has recorded fewer deaths than football. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's still no deaths. Uh, but anyway, where, where was I? Oh, was Messi, what did he, what did he, what did he do? He headbutted Yanga Mabiwa. He headbutted him, and then he kind of swung a swung a hand on him as well. And I think this is disgraceful. I wonder who Messi thinks he is. How does he think he can get away with this? Is it's because he's it's because he's the best player in the world. He doesn't think that he needs to uh, obey the same rules as everyone else. And in fact, he got a yellow card. So all that's going to happen is nothing. Nothing. This is this is why Cristiano Ronaldo wouldn't speak to um, was it CNN or whichever network yeah, he was CNN, talking to. This is why you know they were asking him about Sepp Blatter and he wouldn't say anything. He knows he can't say, but maybe he'll speak now. Maybe this will put him. You know, he he knows that he can't criticize Sepp Blatter in his position as you know hopeful Ballon d'Or winner. Um, and if he does, then probably he's he's got less of a chance of winning that prize. Um, he doesn't want to attack FIFA directly. But after he's seen this, after he's seen Lionel Messi walk away from this incident uh, with not even a backward glance and certainly no longer-lasting punishment, maybe maybe Ronaldo will decide this is the time for him to speak. What I assume a referee is looking for in these incidents is the movement of the head. I and mean, clearly, most of these headbutts aren't particularly forceful. They're mm. usually not going to do a huge amount of damage, these things we see on, uh, on football pitches. But when you make it as clear as Leo Messi did that I'm actually in the process of smacking my head into this guy. With an exa- exaggerated follow-through of the head. You think you're probably going to get a red card. Most players would get a red card in that instance. Yeah, I mean, the referee arrives on, on the scene looking really appalled, as though he was as, as, as though he totally seen what had happened. <laughs> but they just gave both players the yellow card. Right, we'll just uh, box that one off. I have seen the incident, and I have dealt with it, as I think appropriate in the referee's decision. Is Surely if a referee wants to make a name for himself, he sends Leo Messi off, no? 
Maybe referees don't really... There's a point where you don't want to make a name for yourself any more than it's strictly necessary within the refereeing world. I wonder if, if it's one of those things, you know, it's, you know he's, he's, it's, it's the one Gamper trophy, like, you know, a pre-season friendly for Barcelona. And I wonder is one of the things they say to the ref, listen, we don't want any unpleasantness here. You know, I mean, why could Lionel Messi be so angry anyway? Why would he be so angry? He's literally just come back from holidays. Uh, it may have to do with his... Um, what's been happening over the last little while... Um, none of us have been in Argentina, Owen, mm-hmm. uh, or or really, to, if we're honest, that tuned into the national conversation in Argentina no. since their defeat in the Copa America final to Chile. Uh, but one man who has been listening is Jorge Valdano. Jorge Valdano, the um, sweet-talking former uh, Real Madrid sporting director and Argentina international striker, who has been listening to what they've been saying in Argentina. And frankly, he's embarrassed by what he's heard. Um, he says, I want to put it in context. I meet many more people who do not understand the criticism of Messi than people who are disposed to criticise him. What happens is the voices who do attack him are so loud that it makes me embarrassed. And this is interesting because uh, one of the main critical voices about Messi was, of course, Diego Maradona, who, after the um, Copa America final was not slow to come forward and say, well, you know, Leo's great, but you kind of got to do it in these international tournaments. You know what I mean? In a sense, that's what great players are all about. They do it at the time when they have to do it in the international tournament. That's kind of what you've got to do. It's no use being one of these, you know, paper tigers. You know what I mean? The best player in the world, the best player in the World Cup on paper. You've got to actually go out there and do it on grass. <laughs> Uh, and Valdano, a former teammate and a man who's who's um, who's been very assiduous about sucking up to Diego Maradona throughout their entire life together, you know, recognizing Maradona's genius and always talking him up at every opportunity, now appears to be having a little bit of a dig at his former international teammate um, and trying to trying to help out Lionel Messi, also maybe a bit at his former club, Real Madrid, the club of Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, because what uh, Valdana says is, we're talking about the best player in the world, <clears throat> one of the best in history, without any doubt. Um, the best player in the world is, you know, Cristiano might have his own view on that, but everybody else, obviously, inc- including former Real Madrid sporting director Jorge Valdano, all think Lionel Messi is one of the best in history. Without any doubt. Everyone all around the world enjoys him, and here we condemn him. It is difficult for me to understand. It's the same the situation Messi has in Argentina as happens, I think, to a lot of people around the world. In your own home country, people aren't really that... Uh, Not even your own home country, your own course. family. Did you hear these quotes from around that time? Some of him was there, said Antonio Cucciatini, Messi's grandfather, uh, discussing his performance in the latter rounds of the Copa America. Some of him was there. Triumphs are the greatest things there are. But the last three games, he was bad. He was lazy, <laughs> says Messi's granddad. He was lazy? Oh, no. Oh, dear. You know, <laughs> that's the great thing about old people, isn't it, though, really... They really, at a certain stage in their life, they just don't care. They don't care. They really just, ah, you were lazy. You know, what are you going to say? I'm an old man, Leo. I'm an old man. You can say what you like to me. I don't care. I've heard it all before. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, in his day, the footballers were a lot better. You know, the likes of Maradona, Mario Kempes. Uh, you know, the, the great footballers today are nothing more than a bunch of little babies. You're not even the best footballer in this family. Yeah. I, had a, I had a great-grandfather myself, who played for Newell's old boys in the yeah. late 1800s. And all yeah. these tattoos. Well, what's, what's the story of all these tattoos, Leo? 
Uh, Valdano is trying to be reasonable. He says he's a genius, but you can't expect him to be a genius all the time in every game. On some occasions, he cannot be a savior, but that is not a reason to treat him so badly as has happened since the Copa America. Um, and he finishes by saying he hopes that uh, he doesn't get bored or tired, that this, this does not produce a decisive reaction which breaks his relationship with the national team. We need him more than anyone. It's pretty strange to hear someone talking as though um, the situation was really that bad. I mean, Messi kind of needs Argentina as well. It's not like he can walk out in Argentina, you know, saying, oh, I don't like, I'm not getting enough respect from the Argentinian fans. Actually, you know what, I'm not going to play for you anymore. It's not like he can do that. That would end the, you know, not end the argument, but it would kind of, it would stop any remaining chance there is of him finally, you know, he can go to the World Cup in, in Russia and win the World Cup. You know, I mean, he'd be 31 years old during the World Cup. I mean, that's not a, that's not too old, you know, to be, uh, uh, to be the best player in the World Cup, is it? I don't think so. So um, he's still got one more kind of crack at this thing. I don't think he's going to be walking out in the Argentinian national team. Though it is interesting to hear about the sort of attitude towards him. You know, who else is going mad in friendlies? You said he wasn't the only one. Oh, Nigel De Jong, obviously, and Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola um, was going nuts. Uh, Nigel De Jong smashed one of his Bayern players, Young Kimmich, uh, gave him a good. I, I must say, I saw the foul, and it was not really that bad. I, did you see it? It was a kind. Of, it was a sort of Kimmich gets rid of the ball. De Jong kind of is coming in and then with this, this sort of as he's sort of decelerating as he's slowing down he kicks the guy puts him to the ground by the young standards Di- by the young standards not serious but but it's, it's more the surely the confluence of events one uh, friendly game preseason mm. two Nigel de Young <laughs> <laughs> equals uh, much more irate than Cordiola would normally get at such a such a tackle I would have Pro- probably in fairness um, he did at least have the consolation, though, of the next day watching his team, this is yesterday, uh, Bayern Munich beat Real Madrid to win the Audi Cup um, in a preseason friendly. Lewandowski scored a kind of, it was a very, very boring game. Uh, I don't know if you saw Real Madrid, but Real Madrid played Tottenham in the previous round and Gareth Bale scored against them. Did you see it? No. Bale scored. Oh, he didn't celebrate, sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. Preseason friendly. Um, uh, I'm going to have to find a new bugbear this season Ken. I'm gonna have to, I just feel I'm going to be too consumed with rage if I go after the non-celebration celebration this yeah. year I just have to I have to let that lie the battle is lost yeah. I'll pick some other friendly you know, main subject to getting a lather about yeah and it's just one of those things as well where every time there's a non-celebration everyone thinks you know who I'll tweet now oh my god I, I enjoy it I enjoy the correspondence but I just feel it's consuming too much of my life mm. <laughs> gotta unplug yeah um, where are we? This, uh, Kurt Zuma also was involved in a bit of a, uh, an incident where he, he smashed someone in Chelsea's friendly. Justin Marino had a lot to say after this friendly, and I think it's I think we can already begin to see um, some of the stuff that we've been talking about on in previous episodes beginning to come true. As Jose Marino talks about how concerned he is about uh, players like Diego Costa, um, it's not a good situation. Costa's not ready, so Costa's struggling with some injury. It's not a good feeling for him. It's not a good feeling for me. I have to be honest and say, this is a bit of a concern. Um, This is Jose Mourinho, uh, who I think is looking to Chelsea to maybe put a bit of extra, you know, pep in their step when it comes to trying to find some new players for him. Um, And he was talking about the John Stones thing. He said, first of all, 
oh, you know, I'm not sure if we're going to go in, back in for John Stones. They will go back in for John Stones, I'm pretty to Tony sure. Tony Barrett about this in a little while. Um, but, he, you know, he's talking about um, young English players um, and the whole concept of, you know, he's not really a coach who's got much of a reputation for bringing through young players, Mourinho. So he's actually talked, he said some interesting things about this. He says, um, uh, yeah, it's quite fair. People try to get more solutions, solutions for more local players, i.e. more local players in the Premier League teams. We're in England, we're not in China, Japan or Portugal. That's more than fair. But, you know, I'm a coach. I'm not an office man. <laughs> for me, as a coach, I think the players must give confidence for me to say, let's go. Not the other way around. It depends on him, not me. People always ask about chances, chances, chances. Maybe that's a good excuse for the young players to be where they are. Maybe for the good of English football, you should go the other way. Are you ready to get the chance? The other day, I had an internal discussion with my staff. Must the manager give confidence to the player or must the player give confidence to the manager? Is this, how, is this what happens with Jose Mourinho and his staff? These Socratic dialogues between him and the staff. They, they pick a philosophical point and talk about it for half an hour. And then everyone agrees Jose Mourinho was correct. Maybe in pre-season that's what happens. I mean, it's, I think it's pretty interesting if, that, if they are actually re-examining their, the basic um, <laughs> premises of, you know, their philosophy. You know, every so often they go, they go you know, do we really, should, is it their job to give confidence to me or do I have to give confidence to them? I mean, is that not what I'm being a manager is kind of about in a way? You know, I'm telling you, convincing a young player he's good enough to do it or does, is he the man who has to, and the staff are all just trying to figure out what it is Mourinho thinks. So that they well, can say that. Does he surround himself? Yeah. Does he surround himself with yes men? You know, Rui Faria, these kind of guys have been around for a long time. Do we know if internally, if anyone stands up to Mourinho? Do you get any sense from, say, the Diego Torres book at Real Madrid that Mourinho was in any way uh, calmed by any of his assistants, or did they just generally go along with the? Um, well, uh, I mean, Rui Faria is obviously the, the the assistant of his that really stands out. Mm. He kind of, you know captures the attention and he does this by being a kind of like behaving like an attack dog yeah he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who well maybe maybe an attack dog does bow down to their master that's the thing <laughs> about attack dogs you know I mean attack dog isn't much use if it comes at you and, and tries to tear your face off you know what I mean attack dog has to know to uh, not to bite the hand that feeds it yeah. uh, now I mean obviously Rufire is not actually a dog uh, he, he is capable of higher uh you know, rational or conscious reasoning. But I'd say most of his anger is directed outwards. He seems like a true believer in the project anyway, judging by the utter conviction with which he uh, pursues all his arguments. He never, for instance, thinks to himself, you know, uh, am I behaving like a bit of a, you know. That, that thought never seems to cross his mind. He always seems to be fully convinced of his own yeah. uh, rightness when he's fighting for the Chelsea cause, the, the, the cause of the Chelsea staff. And, you know, does, does that mean that he's a man for turning around and then questioning the leader of that staff? I'm not sure. I'm not sure he'd be able to necessarily do that. But, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I think most, mostly the, the Chelsea staff would be trying to figure out, or most of them, if they've been there a while, already know what Jose Mourinho thinks about any of these questions. And so they go, well, what I think is that it's the player's job to give you the confidence, boss. You know, I mean, if he's not ready, you know, you can't magically make him ready. You're a, you're a great manager, the best manager in the world. But you're not a magician. <laughs> I really hope they speak like that behind the scenes. Um, 
Uh, but Mourinho goes, the players and agents would like this. Oh, I need, I need five matches in a row to prove myself. You need five matches in a row? Oh, fantastic. You don't need five matches in a row. You need ten minutes. In ten minutes, you can show me if you're ready or if you're not ready. Kurt Zuma didn't have five matches in a row. In ten minutes, it's difficult to score a Maradona goal, to get the ball in midfield, dribble around ten guys and score. But that's not what you're expecting from a player in ten minutes. In ten minutes, you can show a lot. A lot. You can show you're ready. You're mentally ready. You're physically ready. And you're ready to cope with the pressure. Ten minutes can say a lot. Uh, so everyone is like, ooh. You know what? I don't know what you can this week. What if you're on for ten minutes the ball doesn't come near you? <laughs> I don't know. Should you go chasing after the ball? Make sure you're there? No, you have to keep your position in the team. But you know, what is that just accepting your place in the in the order of things? That you're not a man who tries to bend destiny to his will? Is that what Mourinho wants to see from his players? I, th- I think if the ball's not uh, you know coming near you for ten minutes, just to very authoritatively walk around the place and point at people. Pointing is yeah. important. Yeah, at that just point. you know, I'm holding my position. Don't let me down by you know run, you running around the place trying to get on the ball and score a goal. What we need here is discipline, shape, yeah. and discipline at all times. Shape, time. discipline, guys with maybe big, even just shout good those posture, two words. Big chest. Yeah, just shout those two words all the time. Shape, shape, discipline, shape. <laughs> just for ten minutes. I mean, you probably probably do quite do quite well. That's right. Discipline, shape. <laughs> shape would be yeah. Shape is it? Mourinho would. Yeah, God, I like the cut of that guy's jib. Yeah, hasn't moved too Mourinho. much from that one spot there that I put him in, but he seems to really know what he's about. Everyone is, but the, but I mean to be honest, what I see here is Mourinho. What, see, the point about Chelsea is that they they have this great youth team that keeps winning all the youth tournaments, including like the UEFA Youth League or whatever you know, the Youth Champions League that they've instituted. I wouldn't say it was necessarily the most prestigious tournament in the world yet. But, you know, it is like a high-level tournament for youth players. Um, essentially, Mourinho is saying that, uh, I mean, in Chelsea, there, there's this, it's, it's, it's really clear what's happening in Chelsea. Mourinho's like, I need more players. The ones we have, not going to cut it. The club are saying, have you seen that our youth team keeps winning all these titles? We've got some good players in there. And Mourinho's saying, don't see him. Don't see the players. But you haven't given them a chance. Have given them a chance. Ten minutes. That's all they need. Not ready. You know what I mean? This is what this is. This is very clearly what's happening here. Um, I don't see. I, I don't hear any evidence or see any evidence of, of, of Mourinho wanting to actually promote any of these guys. No. So um, you know, John Stones is kind of what he's looking. We'll talk to Tony Tony Bard about that. But you know, it's you can you can see how this would start to kind of uh, grate on other. Uh, aspects of the Chelsea club because you know their job is about <laughs> say, say what if your job is to bring through young players like, well I'm doing that but he's not using them you know you're you're beginning to, beginning to get annoyed there um, uh, especially I wonder how what, what people are going to be saying in Chelsea if Manchester City now sign Kevin De Bruyne from Wolfsburg this is what seems to be uh, or Ma- Manuel Pellegrini seems to be suggesting this is going to be their last signing um, and they're talking about spending forty-five million pounds on this guy, right? Which is a lot of money. Uh, remember, he's a guy who Chelsea sold. Recently. I mean, it was an amazing deal, uh, in one sense, by Chelsea. You know, they signed a player for seven million from who's Genk in Belgium, loaned him out, uh, loaned him out again, brought him back, played him for three games, loaned him out again, sold him for eighteen million. Right, so he's played three games. Uh, they've made eleven million on this deal. They've having played three games for them. It's 
it was really strange. It was like, well, you know, I don't really know what's going on here. But he was he was brought back to the club with the original idea of he'll be part of Jose Mourinho's squad now, sort of going forward. This is when Mourinho first arrived back to Chelsea. And Mourinho played him in the first couple of games and obviously didn't fancy him. Send him back to Germany. He's done really well for Wolfsburg. He could now be playing for Manchester City, maybe first team player for them, maybe a first team player for a rival club, maybe a very effective player in the Premier League. We'll see if he actually joins City. Uh, if he, if that does happen, though, if it works out that way for De Bruyne, then it's embarrassing for Mourinho. It's like, well, did we really have to sell that guy? Suddenly, the deal that we got from doesn't actually look that good at the time. If we'd given him a chance, maybe he would have been, you know, I suppose we've got William now and we also signed Quadrado and Salah and all these guys, but maybe we could have just used De Bruyne all along. And Was De Bruyne one of those guys when we talked about in Monday's podcast that Mourinho just sometimes feels... Juan Mata was certainly yes, one of them. Yes, he was, yeah. He it feels, was. I actually have to, and a lot of managers think this, I have to get rid of a couple of people if, if for nothing else and to shake things up a bit, otherwise everyone's too comfortable in their positions at the club. Yeah, well, in fairness to Brown, had only literally just arrived back to the club that summer from having been on loan for a season and a half. So, having never actually been at the club before. So <laughs> he couldn't have been that comfortable. So, I don't know if he even knew where his locker was or anything like that. He wasn't even but, sure of the way to the training ground. Cut him again, you know. Uh, Halfway to the Emirates before you. Re- oh wait, no, it's yeah. the other one, the lads in blue that yeah. I've actually been a, cl- a club member of for the last three years. But I did mention Pellegrini there. He, he says, "I am absolutely sure that we are going to have a very successful season. We must bring the title back to our fans." <laughs> Saw this. He's talking big. Yeah, I think he's. I, I, he sounds really relaxed, and it's almost as though he doesn't really care anymore. We are sure that we are going to bring it back. <laughs> so maybe they maybe they will. Maybe I'm underestimating Manchester City. You do get the feeling they're maybe ma- marking a bit of time out now. Yeah. Next season, maybe they'll have another manager in place. They're looking carefully to see what's going on at Bayern Munich and hope, hope maybe that they'll be able to bring in a guy. Uh, and until then, at least Manuel Pellegrini knows his job is safe. <laughs> uh, so... Maybe you know that's maybe it's a bit of a load off him. Who knows? Maybe they can. Uh, maybe they'll go and do the business. But get John Carver in for the last four months of the season. Never know. Jack Grealish has got a little bit of career guidance from a senior figure at the club. Yeah, Michael Richards is the captain at, at Aston Villa now. It's a pretty mediocre ascent, although not mediocre ascent. I mean, they, usually it's a, a decent. It isn't in me if it's mediocre. Um, but Richards says. Uh, lay off Jack Grealish it's a bit like the way Argentina is with Lionel Messi uh, people are around Jack Grealish now after he uh, you know was inhaling nitrous oxide and then was uh, photographed lying on the road in Tenerife uh, having apparently been out on a heavy night uh, Richard says it's hard for youngsters coming through uh, he's 19 when you're going from earning 80 pounds a week to signing for big money, you think you're the man, don't you? You want a nice car. I was going to restaurants parking on yellow lines, and I would think, what was I doing? There's a car park just there. <laughs> You've got a different mindset when you're young, giddy. When you're first pulling a bird, you get giddy with it. When you're young, you're enjoying your life. Your mindset does change. But you've got to make mistakes to learn from them, and as long as you do, that's the key. This is a very forgiving uh, outlook from the captain. Richards, isn't it? Oh, you know... Just, um, he sounds a bit like the kind of guy that Jose Mourinho was complaining about. Oh, I need five games. Oh, I need five years. I'm only 19. You've got 10 minutes. You've literally got 10 minutes starting now. It's funny what a headline or what an interpretation can do to a story, Ken. I saw this first this morning, uh, sportsjoe.ie tweeted, 
saying, this is the headline, you think you're the man, don't you? Aston Villa's new captain sets Jack Grealish straight. <laughs> but the, 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 the quote, you think you're the man, don't you, is an extended version of what you have there. And it's like, you, you, when you're that age, you walk around, you think you're the man, don't you? Yeah, yeah, as <laughs> opposed like, to Grealish, oh, you think you're... You think you're I really stuff. thought, yeah, I really thought it was an incendiary quote there from uh, Mika Richards. But luckily... Uh, Luckily, it's he's pouring oil on troubled waters. That's the end of Kennedy's. We're a board on board. Alright, uh, Tony Barrett joins us now to talk about the Chelsea's pursuit of John Stones which has, has affected the player according to Roberto Martinez today. Tony, good to talk to you uh, just before the start of the season. You were there to hear Roberto Martinez give a press conference. Uh, what sort of humour was he in about all this? He was very positive and, and upbeat as, as Roberto Martinez tends to be. Uh, the, the one caveat to that was he, he did talk about the effect that this kind of interest can have on a player and Although he always says that it's a compliment for a player to get interest from a rival club, he, he, he did admit that it's something that Stones is going to have to learn to get used to. Uh, and, and that obviously raised the possibility that maybe, and he didn't say this, he certainly didn't say this, but may, the insinuation was that maybe he'd been a little bit distracted by that and he was saying that the focus has to be on Everton's first game against Watford. So the, the, Everton's position hasn't changed. They're still saying that John Stones is not for sale. Uh, my own idea to that would be is that every player is not for sale until the club receives the amount of money that they want for the player. Uh, and I think that applies to every club across the board now. And I think we're past the stage of selling clubs and buying clubs. I think every player has its price, and it's that simple. But but Chelsea are clearly nowhere near what Everton feel would it, it would take to sell John Stones. Yeah, I, I saw that Jose Mourinho um, was was saying. Well, you know, I, I don't even know if to me the transfer window doesn't really last beyond the first game of the season. I can't really get my head around that. So he was kind of making it sound as though Chelsea might pull out of this deal. Is, does he have the impression that maybe Everton are, are keener to actually get a deal done for John Stones than maybe they're letting on at the moment? Uh, I, 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 Martin is very cute at times like this. He, he tries not to get drawn into things and uh, give too much away. Might, might, Everton upset by Chelsea. There's no question about that. Everton feel that Chelsea's approaches have been too public. Uh, and some of the stuff that's been said both by Jose Mourinho and a couple of his players have overstepped the mark. And I think that's Everton's concern at the moment. They, I, I actually feel that they are in a comfortable position on Stones in that if he stays, great. Uh, but if he goes, it will uh, it'll free up the kind of finance that they don't have to reinvest in the squad. Uh, so I think Everton's position is relaxed. Uh, I think they feel they win either way. Uh, but but my gut feeling is that this will carry on, this will drag on. Chelsea is still in. The, whatever Mourinho says, they're still in, still want the player. And, and I would be surprised if, if in the end Stones doesn't go. 
It is. Um, it's interesting, Tony, the way that he has gone in a very short space of time from uh, being nobody to being basically the key to the next 20 years of Premier League defending. Uh, it's a bit like what happened with Phil Jones. I think it was four summers ago at this stage. I mean, people say the the cliche about John Stones is, oh, he's really good at the ball. Like I heard Rio Ferdinand say that recently. Oh, he's great on the ball, you know? I mean... Uh, it's all you ever seem to hear about him, actually. You've seen him play, uh, you know, re- with reasonable regularity. How how good do you think he is? I love watching him. There's no question about that. Me fear is that forwards don't fear playing him. Uh, and I, I, I've watched John Stone since he came to Everton, and he's still got the same qualities, but he's still got the same faults. Uh, he can be guilty of ball watching his concentration isn't as strong as, say, Phil Jagielka next to him. Uh, and there are times when he needs his, his central defensive partner to do a defending for him. Uh, and that's where Jagielka comes into his own. Jagielka can defend for two at times. Uh, there was a goal against Arsenal, I think it was last year, where, where Stones was actually looking at his boots when the corner came in and, and Arsenal scored from that set piece. So there are, there are, he's, he's, not, he's not ready to go and be the new John Terry and anyone who thinks that. I'd be making a mistake, but what I, I think you do see in Stones is a player still of enormous potential, a player who could go on and be really special. He is a ball-playing defender, and, and we don't produce enough of them. Uh, and I think with the right guides, with the right manager, with the right people around him, uh, he could go on and be the kind of defender which certainly, obviously, Josie Mourinho thinks he can. And what, what I would say is David Moyes has obviously got a lot of stick for what happened at Man United, but. He, he saw John Stones at Barnsley and, and signed for £2 million. Uh, Now, players don't tend to go for £2 million anymore. It's starting place for any kind of decent players, 7 8 £9 million upwards. He saw them for £2 million and, and now he's, he's going to go if he does go for probably an excess of £30 million. So I, I, I think Moyes deserves a lot of credit and I do think that with the right environment, Stones can be cut become a top defender. Tony, I know you said there's no such thing as buying clubs and selling clubs anymore, but when it comes to the most precious commodity in English football, young, homegrown, highly talented players, could it be argued that maybe both clubs in Liverpool actually are selling clubs in that regard now? Uh, maybe not necessarily to to their great joy, but John Stone's probably on the way out of Everton after Sterling leaves Liverpool for Man City. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I've written pieces to that effect. I think, I think Liverpool and Everton have become the kind of clubs that they used to play upon. Uh, Liverpool and Everton are the kind of clubs that top players may emerge at, they may come through at, uh, but they're, they're all too easy to leave at the minute. And, and the minute you're out of the, the Champions League, you're not involved in that, you're not challenging the title, you're not winning trophies, you're not paying the top wages. If, if you don't take any of those boxes, you can't blame your, your top talent for, for wanting to go to a club that does, and that applies as much to Everton with John Stones as it did to Liverpool at the Heemsdale you can't complain very Darwinian the, the, in, in the Premier League at the minute and it is, the survival of the fifth which means the best players will go to the best clubs to, to an even greater degree than they have done in the past I think you can see that and Liverpool at, and Everton at the mercy there are other clubs in that respect The other thing that you notice about these two guys Sterling and Stones is that neither of them is actually from Liverpool uh, they both sort of joined uh, as teenagers. I mean, you mentioned Stones came from Barnsley, Sterling when he was a little bit younger from QPR. But neither of them is, uh, you know, a scouser as such. I mean, what do you? What's your impression of the state of the game uh, in the city? Sort of no longer, not not at the, um, you know, not not the sort of Premier League level. But I mean, uh, is is it still a city that is actually producing and talented young players? 
it still is. I think if you go through the leagues, Liverpool will be probably, probably better than any other city uh, outside London. Uh, the population in, in in the football league in the Premier League. It's my, my worry is that that top level quality doesn't seem to be the if if you go through whatever whatever you want to pick and you look at the top players that have emerged from their side area, and that's gone on for time immemorial and you've, you've now got Wayne Rooney Manchester United Ross Barkley uh, and Everton but there's, there's not that great number of, of great players in this area I put that down to lots of things the local leagues are nowhere near as strong as they, they used to be and then the amateur leagues in Liverpool used to be the biggest have the, the most number of divisions of any league in Europe uh, and that's certainly no longer the case. So you've got you've got all those things, and, and Liverpool and Everton, I don't think have been as good at producing players uh, in recent years. Certainly not top players uh, as they have done have been in the past. And certainly the players that Liverpool have been brought through. If you look at Jordan Ibe, uh, Raheem Steele, they've been brought in from outside. They haven't come through the city. Uh, so so there is that it's not as strong as it once was. That's clear. All right, Tony. Thanks a million. Cheers, James. Good to speak to you. And he is my second captain. Second captain. That's uh-huh. the humorous competition. I saw that. Important man for my selection. It was nice to get Tony Barrett's full undivided attention because I have noticed when we've been speaking to any English journalist uh, in the last number of weeks, they've been speaking to us, sure, um, but part of them seems to be taken up with the ashes, which they're always watching with uh, at least one part of their brain. And spectacular stuff going on in the ashes today. As we speak, Australia on the verge of, well, they're having a mini fight back, but what we're talking about here is the closest thing to the 7-1 World Cup uh, result between Brazil and Germany that cricket has seen in a while. Yeah, well, as I speak right now at 12.34, Australia are 54 for nine um, with two uh, bowlers at the crease. So they're, it's not, they're not long for this world. No. Um, no, they did get over 50. So we should. Which was looking dubious at one stage. For, for, for the many dubious. people listening who don't follow cricket, 50 is not a good score. 50s, yeah, this is yeah, this is the seven one in uh, in cricketing form. Uh, Australia had to win this game as well to have any chance of retaining the Ashes. So, yeah, it's it's been an interesting morning. Ken, give our podcasters what they want. The What's last, that? we're in the last point two of a mile, Ken. Don't forget before the season starts. What do they want? Predictions, predictions, Ken early predictions, so that then they can use it as a stick oh, to beat you with throughout the. We're not going to go through the whole gamut of these things, Ken, but we do okay. need to know who you think. He will post uh, 1 to 20 all of the team's positions uh, later on on his own personal Twitter account, at Ken Early. So just keep an eye out for that, everyone. Uh, I'm going to ask you who you think will be the player of the season. The player of the season? Yeah. Curveball. Ooh. Oh. Not that much of a curveball. It's a difficult question. I mean, there's so many good players. Uh-oh, this mightn't go too well. Mm. I don't know. I really I don't know. Okay, Ken already says he doesn't know who the player of the season is going to be. Champions, are you going to sit in the fence for that one as well? Arsenal. Arsenal are going to be champions. Yeah, I think they are, yeah. They're going to finish above Chelsea. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Number one, top spot. 
I just think it's. I think there's just a wave coming. There's just a red and okay. white sleeved wave uh, on the way, and the. I just think. Um, I think they're they're going to get it. Every time Arsenal have won the league under Aston Wenger, they've it's been because of a kind of bravura performance that they've been able to put on for several months in a row. I just think they're the team that are able to actually do that. I could see Arsenal winning a lot of their games, scoring two or three goals in a lot of their games, and that's really what that's all you've got to do. You know what I mean? If you've got Petr Cech, then you score two or three goals, you're probably going to win the league. I don't see Chelsea doing that. I can see Chelsea scoring a goal in all of their games and then struggling to score a second goal. You know, and then it becomes about whether they can, how many clean, clean sheets they can keep. I don't know. I think Arsenal have, uh, have just, are going to win more games than Chelsea and uh, this is going to sound really stupid in about uh, three weeks' time. Top four, starting with Arsenal at number one. Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester City, Manchester United. Yeah, so nobody, no Liverpool sneaking in there. I don't think what so. About, what of Spurs? What of Spurs, Ken? But I don't think so. I mean, I just don't see why Spurs would be suddenly better than any of those teams. And, I, and with Liverpool, it's very difficult to say because they've it, the team is kind of so new now. This, the, no one's seen this team play yet. I mean, maybe this Firmino, Firmino Coutinho, Benteke thing is going to be amazing, you know. But we don't we don't really know if they've got any um, chemistry yet. Well, we, they've got they've got kind of so many attacking players as well. It's difficult to know what type of shape they're going to have. I mean, I didn't even mention Daniel Sturridge there. It's like he doesn't exist anymore. You know what I mean? Daniel Sturridge was the second top scorer in the league two seasons ago. Um, so, so I'd say with them, they have a lot of kind of upside potential, but uh, they haven't really done anything with their defense either, have they? And they, this, the defense has been there. They've got Klein, I suppose, but you know they let in. What fifty goals, fifty-one goals, and then forty-nine goals, or something like that. And I don't really see that they've done anything about that. So why would why would it be any different? And you're sure you don't want to commit to a player this season? Um, I'll go with Petr Cech. Petr Cech is player. <laughs> it really is going to be Arsenal's year. Petr Cech is player of the season. Well, how, many goal- how many goalkeepers? How many goalkeeper? I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to win Player of the Year. I mean, I'm I'm saying He'll I think be your he could be. I think he could season. be an important player because I think he's I think he's the main reason why I think Arsenal have actually genuine chance of winning. Okay, because I think he can maybe um, make their defense a lot better quickly. You know what I mean? Uh, I think a good goalkeeper like that may, can make a big. It's the best thing you can do for a kind of dodgy defense. All right, it's a big weekend in the GA Championship, which we will discuss in our later podcast. And we're also going to have a look at Ireland against Wales in the first of the Rugby World Cup warm-up matches. Wales training, training hard, training like absolute beasts, and not shy in telling everyone about how hard they're training and about how big and strong and fast they are. So we'll chat about all that in the next podcast. Thanks very much for listening to this one. Uh, season is just 350 yards away. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Thanks Owen. again. Thanks for listening. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. 
And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.